Hello, I'm Zeb Newirth, and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, bold solutions, and a renewed sense of meaning and purpose in their journey to advance patient-centered, customer-oriented, value-based healthcare. Folks, the uh, views that I express on this podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization that I may be affiliated with. Our focus today is on artificial intelligence and uh, in the healthcare world, and we are very, very fortunate to have Yal Gura, who is going to be with us today, talking about uh, his work and his company, uh, where they are right now, and hopefully uh, will uh, give us some insights into where they are rapidly going in this emerging world of artificial intelligence. Um, Eyal, uh it's great to have you on the show here and in this conversation on creating a new healthcare. If you could just spend a couple of minutes giving us uh, a little bit about your background. Hi, everyone, and thank you, Zev, for uh, hosting me. Um, Background-wise, I'm an Israeli-based tech entrepreneur, and Zebra is the fifth company I founded, and but the first one into healthcare. And previously, had companies in the fields of uh, digital right management, e-commerce, online recruiting, um, and ad tech. So quite of a varied uh, experience uh, in parallel and beforehand. Um, I'm a business graduate uh, of the Wharton Business School in Pennsylvania. Um, married and have two kids here in Israel. And now happy to be part of uh, ZebraMed, which is uh, revolutionizing uh, AI for radiology. That's great. Thank you so much for that. And and I know in in our conversations. Um, so did did you just? I wanted to get this straight. Did you just? Uh, you were just on on a trip. Did you just literally climb Mount Kilimanjaro? Was that a joke? Um, unfortunately, it wasn't a joke. Um, I have an old school friend of mine, uh, we know each other since the age of 10, we were born at the same day and we said that when, once we will be 40, we will climb the Kilimanjaro. And uh, it happened, so we became 40 last month, and so we had to do it. Uh, so last week uh, we summit and we were at the peak of Kilimanjaro. It, it wasn't an easy experience, I'm not advising anyone to try to do it at home. But, uh, <laughs> But uh, once you're up there and you're above the cloud and you see the sunrise, it makes everything uh, worthwhile. Wow, that's that's amazing. I I would love to hear more about that, but we're gonna maybe we'll uh, we'll climb a different summit today when we're talking about uh, this work that you're doing in Zebra Med with artificial intelligence. So let me start by asking you: uh, There's been a lot of hype uh, about artificial intelligence, machine learning. Um, and uh, neural networks, etc. Could you could you really keep it very very uh, basic and in in plain language? What is it that uh, what is the application of this so called field of artificial intelligence to healthcare? What what problems is it solving? How how is this improving healthcare? And how will it improve healthcare as it evolves and our application of it evolves? And so that's that's a good big question. So, and um, because I'm 
less technological than my other peers, tech entrepreneurs, I look on things more from a business or a practical perspective. And this is why I'm less uh, hyped around AI. Uh, so for, for me and for us at Zebra, it's, it's a means to an end. We, uh, we initiated the company with the vision to impact millions of people's lives, specifically in uh, visual detection of diseases. Uh, radiology is one part of it. Pathology, cytology, ophthalmology, or other parts. Um, and you these days you have nurses or doctors, and uh, sometimes you call it radiologists, sometimes it's technologists that are staring on an image, and they need to come up with a quick decision that uh, indicates uh, the pathway of someone uh, treatment and potentially life. Um, and uh, computers uh, can do a much better job uh, nowadays on. Uh, those visual detections. It wasn't the case until very recently, and this is why the hype is happening now. Um, back in the days, I used to own a company that was doing image monitoring uh, on behalf of stock photography companies. So we used to tell Getty Images and Corbis and Reuters who is misusing their images online. And we used simple image processing technology that had a lot of false negatives, false positives, um, and it was uh, suffice for this specific need. But when you want to go more robust and more accurate, you need a more sophisticated technology that back then we didn't have. In the last few years, uh, the theories around machine learning uh, came together with the availability of GPU, the parallel computing powers. Um, and the availability of data that is still it's still a challenge, but more and more companies already have it. And then, once you have very large data sets of a specific finding, you can train a computer to detect it in the same way Google trained computers to detect cats and dogs on YouTube files, and the same way Facebook trained their algorithms to detect your friends' faces better than you can. It's just a matter of data and computing power. And, um, and, and, and this is all to it. Uh, so, we, so the hype is nice and it's uh, happening now, but uh, we all need to remember that uh, this is just a mean to an end in the same way that digital uh, patient records are mean to an end and uh, uh, voice to text prescriptions of uh, diagnosis is also nice technology, but it's a means to an end, Well, also AI for text or for images is also a means to an end. So Yal, I, I love your uh, bottom line approach and your, your, as you pointed out, you're less of a technical person than your colleagues, but clearly still, I'm sure, quite technical. But, but let's, go to the, let's go to the business, uh, the means to the end part. Let me pick up on that. So uh, I want to ask you in two, in two respects. What, what is the end we are uh, trying to achieve? One is from, you know, sort of bottom line uh, metrics that uh, both a, a business leader in healthcare as well as a clinical leader in healthcare would be interested in. And how, how does the, the, the magic of this technology, what does it actually mean in the end for leaders and uh, for folks who uh, have to meet uh, very real goals in terms of quality and safety and productivity 
and, and growth and whatever metrics and ends you, you think are important, how is this going to uh, help people who are trying to uh, create a new healthcare and improve healthcare and improve the value of healthcare? So I assume much of our, uh, our audience is a uh, US based or I'd say de very developed country based and, and, there, and there are different needs and applications for these markets versus developing countries. We'll start, I'll start with a much clearer and simple to explain uh, example from developing countries, but then we can talk about the US. <coughs> Sorry about that. So in, in uh, China, for example, um, you can go into a mid-sized hospital in Beijing and every day there will be 30,000 new x-rays scans that were unread by the end of the day. And then the other day come along, and the other day come along, pollution levels are high, people are coughing, coming to the hospitals, more x-rays are being taken. There are not enough experts to read them. Uh, in Kenya, for example, they equipped 100 new hospitals with the newest mammogram device, so every woman can have a breast cancer screening program, like in the US or in Europe or in Israel. But guess what? They have only 12 mammographers who know how to read mammogram scans for a nation of 50 million people. So it's very easy to explain why an automated uh, reading uh, machine can help in those countries. Um, in more uh, sophisticated uh, health environments like in the US or Europe, um, we have very good radiologists, very experienced ones. Um, however, they are under much load of uh, many, many new scans that are coming in front of them every day um, because of the availability of uh, more sophisticated modalities like MRIs and CT scans. So, a CT scan can include now one or two thousand slices versus uh, two slices of an X-ray scan of many years ago. Um, and the same radiologist, the same 24 hours a day, but much, much uh, more scans. Um, in addition to that, you have the aging population. And we all know that uh, in those age groups, there are more scans that are being produced. So the number of resources is pretty limited, um, and the demand is uh, increasing. And two billion people are joining middle class worldwide and they are going to get health insurance, they are going to get into hospitals, the hospitals are going to be equipped with scanners, but you don't have enough radiologists to read the scans of those two billion people. And so this is the top-down or the more uh, straightforward explanation of why AI is needed in the visual detection of uh, conditions. So what I hear is in uh, that, number one, it will increase access for patients and uh, populations to diagnostic readings. And you mentioned uh, for the diagnosis of breast cancer. Uh, so this will obviously translate into picking up more uh, uh, breast cancers earlier and translate into uh, better outcomes uh, for for women, uh, particularly in uh, countries and in areas where there are uh, less uh, numbers of uh, skilled uh, radiographers to read them, and um, and uh, it still uh, provides. Uh, to me, it sounds like it's also leveraging 
uh, providers, even in areas that have it. So maybe can you say something, and, and I will come back to this issue of some, some other uh, sort of uh, ends that uh, this means is heading towards. But what about, you know, when I hear this, and um, I, I have to think for the physicians who are listening to this, particularly radiologists or cytologists and pathologists, uh, anyone who, who is doing image recognition in their professional work uh, in healthcare, they must be thinking, is this going to put me out of business? And so what, what do you say to uh, providers, physicians, uh, and, and, or even uh, uh, companies, uh, provider groups that do radiology companies? And uh, what, what, what's your thought on that? So I think our vision and also the, the reason why uh, your audience went into their uh, medical training in the first place was to help patients, mm -hmm. and which is the most important thing at the end of the day. And if we can enable the physician uh, to, to take care or to look at more scans per minute or per hour or to get 10 insights out of the same scan versus the two that he's doing now, um, it's all resolving a better patient care. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't worry about uh, any uh, job displacements in the uh, in the Western world countries specifically for doctors in the next few decades. Uh, it's quite contrary. The, the overload will be so high that they will be very happy and that computers will help us to take some of the more tedious jobs, some the routines ones, the measurements one, things that uh, they, they know that the uh, computer can do quicker and better and they will trust the computer to do it with them. Um, so you can think about it more of a, uh, a radiologist on steroid or a bionic radiologist that is uh, having uh, an AI assistant next to him uh, helping him becoming more efficient and treating patients better. Mm -hmm. So that's that's another kind of ends in terms of talking about uh, leveraging uh, physicians and um, uh, and increasing efficiency and I imagine productivity. What about the issue turning from maybe a business argument um, and to going back to this issue of uh, quality and you, you know we did you did mention this issue of access which I think is incredibly important. Uh, not just in developed country, developing countries, but I, I think even in developed countries, uh, access to radiology, imaging, and reading is still still a major issue, and we still have quite a ways to go in terms of uh, across populations, uh, screening uh, tests that you were talking about, particularly mammography, but others as well. What about the issue of quality and safety? And and so this has got to be a fundamental question that you must get almost you know, in the first few minutes of your presentation from uh, physicians and executives in healthcare, you know, how do I know that this is as good or better than a human being who's been trained for years to read this? Uh, you know, can, can, is the technology that good yet or, or is it still in, in a stage where you need oversight from, uh, from a um, board certified uh, uh, person who could read uh, images? So there are two different questions here. One is more for the regulatory pathway, whether the technology is a decision support tool versus a full-blown diagnostic engine. It might be the same algorithm, but different intended use. And the other question, which I think is where you were aiming to, is in terms of the accuracy of the algorithm. So. Um, algorithms are not perfect, they are prob probabilistic 
formulas, um, each one of them has specificity and sensitivity. Um, many of the algorithms we already produced, are, we know that they are better than the human beings, and uh, we have a lot of data to prove it, and we are gradually publishing all of them. Um, but we must remember that uh, the, the human algorithm, the, the radiologist, even though we hate to compare uh, us uh, superior human to machines, the, the, the radiologist themselves has um, um, a not insignificant uh, false positive rates and uh, miss rate. And uh, in, many case, in many cases, it's because of the way our human brain is uh, tuned. So as humans, um, we need to make quick decision about, uh, like in the old days, about uh, fight or flight. And, and if a patient comes in with a chest pain and they have a CT and it's a heavy smoker uh, patient, the radiologist will look for the reason for the chest pain. Maybe he will look for uh, potential uh, lung nodules. But uh, in many cases, he will overlook bone density and overlook the fact that this patient have a few vertebral fractures even though they are very apparent in the CT scan. Um, in, in other industries they also call it the invisible gorilla test. So as human beings we are trying to look for what we were asked to look for first. And in many places we are overlooking other things. Computers just don't do it, they just look for everything. And we had a recent uh, interesting pilot at uh, Oxford with uh, the UK, the NHS. So apparently for the topic of vertebral fractures, which is uh, one of the more significant indicator for uh, osteoporosis fractures, um, radiologists were missing 65% of the vertebral fractures. Um, and the algorithm found 95%. Um, and when you ask radiologists about it, they just nod in their head. They, they, they don't really care for the vertebral fracture because those patients came in and did a chest CT for other more acute reasons. Um, so they just see it as an additive value. They, they know the vertebral fracture is there. Specifically in the UK, they have a national fracture prevention program. So the ROI is also clear of what to do with all those patients that the algorithm found as... Uh, Highlikely to have uh, uh, fractures, um, but the radiologists will not change their day to day. They will not look for those vertebral fractures by themselves. Mm -hmm. Do you have and and I think that's a really great point. That clearly, the machine does not um, have the uh, sort of uh, behavioral uh, economic biases. Uh, that we as human beings have, and so both uh, the bias of not picking up things that you're not uh, weren't directly asked to look at, and also uh, potentially the bias of reading uh, something into more into what you actually see there. So, so I understand that. Do you have, um, in terms of the studies uh, that are going on now, uh, either within with uh, your product and, and, and at ZebraMed or other uh, AI products around the world? What is the literature showing us? I mean, are there uh, bona fide studies in peer-reviewed journals that are demonstrating that this is uh, just as, um, as you say, accurate as, uh, as, as radiologists or cytologists? Are, are those studies happening now, or where are we with that literature? We, we already saw in the last 12 months several studies. Uh, Zebra published a few of them, but there are several others. 
around specific uh, algorithms like compression fractures, like breast cancer, like lung nodules, where the computer was better in quantifying and detection and the accuracy rate was very high. Um, specifically at Zebra, we have uh, the privilege of working with very large data sets. So in the publications we will publish in the next 12 months, we will talk about patients' cohorts of tens of thousands, and it will be easier for a healthcare executive to trust those numbers. Many other studies that were published around AI are still doing it in the traditional way of talking about 70 cases, 100 cases, and then even though the accuracy rate is uh, high, you still have the, the, the typical suspicion that, okay, the data set might not be suffice, it might be a very unique set. And so it will take, I think, between 12 and 24 months until the industry will be very convinced about specific algorithms. Uh, after they will see large patient cohort studies uh, out there. You're very optimistic uh, given how slow healthcare has been in terms of adopting evidence-based medicine, but uh, but you may be right. Uh, I think uh, things are evolving more rapidly than they have in the past. So, so, you know, I think for me, you've made some very good arguments in terms of how uh, this uh, AI-assisted, um, you know, reading of images in healthcare improves uh, access uh, to care, and, and therefore, you know, it, you know, if it's more accurate, which the literature is beginning to demonstrate, uh, it'll improve health outcomes. Uh, you're saying it's improved quality and reliability, uh, clearly productivity. Uh, I think the one area that, as I'm listening to you speak, and I'm just imagining this again from the perspective of healthcare leaders. Uh, the, 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 one of the major issues, just like access, which is a very core issue and, and challenge in healthcare today, both in the U.S. and, and across the, the globe, affordability is a fundamental problem in healthcare, and this is global. Uh, the cost of healthcare continue to skyrocket, and uh, in essence, uh, people are literally families are now working just to pay for their healthcare bills. Uh, employers are literally, uh, you know, just creating revenue to pay for the cost of their employees' healthcare. So it, we could talk about this a lot, but it seems to me that one of the advantages of uh, this AI-assisted, uh, you know, imaging reading is in fact lowering the costs and creating greater affordability. Uh, in 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 both uh, whether it's uh, high-end cytology readings, uh, pathology, radiology, etc., so on and so forth. What do you? Uh, how has that played into your conversation? Again, as a business person speaking uh, to other business people and, and to healthcare leaders. So, um, I'm glad you touched this point because uh, affordability is something that is also key to us in our vision. And again, our vision is more global and we really wanted our solutions to be affordable also to people in developing countries. And, and this is why uh, we're uh, launching in the next couple of weeks something that is very unique in the healthcare world and uh, also very unique for a startup to do in terms of, uh, I would say, boldness and aggressiveness on the, on the affordability side. And so we're launching a model called AI1. Uh, where we are basically, it's AI1 stands for all in one, um, and uh, basically we are bundling all of our AI algorithms, future ones and current one, 
uh, in a one dollar per scan uh, pricing. Uh, so everyone anywhere in the world can afford it, uh, whether you're a head of radiology in uh, Carolinas or uh, in uh, Kenya or China or India. Um, uh, it's a very simple model and uh, the customers will know that uh, whatever dozens of algorithms we have now, um, it will double next year and the year after, they will still enjoy uh, the same price per scan, which is $1. So let me try to understand this. So you're going to launch, uh, like you say, all in one, uh, AI1, um, a a uh, a cost a, a a cost of one dollar per scan. Now, is this direct to consumer? Are you are you mar are you selling this directly to to patients, individuals outside of healthcare, or is this uh, still channeled through healthcare? It's uh, through hospitals. Through hospitals, so the channel still is provider groups, hospital systems. Would it be radiology groups as well, or anyone who does who does scans? Yeah. Um, Many of those hospitals are struggling with uh, tight budgets and uh, they are being bombarded by so many offerings of AI companies and analytics companies. A few, few years ago, it was called big data companies. And each one of them has a ticket price of hundreds of thousands of dollars per hospital per year, SaaS um, or on-premise model. And, um, and the, the, the hospitals are uh, overloaded by those uh, type of expenses. We wanted to simplify it for uh, the hospitals and uh, to capitate the, the number of dollars they will pay per scan. Um, and we will charge only for scans where we add value. So, for example, uh, as we speak now, we don't have any X-ray algorithm released yet to the market. We have just several... CT-based algorithms released. So um, even though the hospitals do MRIs and X-rays, we will not charge for them uh, $1 per scan. But the next year and the year after once, we'll have more and more X-rays and MRI-related algorithms. We'll charge $1 per scan for them as well. Um, so it's, it's a good way to facilitate the partnership with uh, the hospitals in the next 12 to 24 months and then gradually grow it from, them to, from there together uh, as we invent more and more of those algorithms. Now, what what do you think is going to happen in healthcare when you release this launch? And again, you're you're saying it's it's limited. To, you're you're not going to charge for things that haven't been demonstrated or proven yet. Uh, imaging studies. You're going to limit it to the ones. And I do want to ask you which ones. Uh, what you know? What's your portfolio of products uh, or images that that are proven, if so to speak? But what do you think, before we get to that, what do you think is going to happen? How is this going to play out for hospital systems and for customers? Because the prices that um, that hospital systems uh, and provider groups charge is is a set price. I mean, there are, there are codes for this, et cetera. So what do you think, it, what do you think how, how will this play out in the first month, six months, year, when you launch AI1? Um, what, what we hope that will happen is that uh, the industry uh, will accept this as the, the new norm and the new standard of pricing for AI. And uh, not only Zebra, many other players uh, will also make their offering available and affordable so that uh, any patient in the US or uh, the rest of the world can use it. And so that, that's our uh, bigger hope to, 
in terms of the impact on pricing. We don't want to end like a pharma company that invests a lot of R&D and then they develop a life-saving drug, but because of shareholders, fiduciary legislation in the U.S. or more likely litigation in the U.S., they are just maximizing price and they will not sell this drug in the next 10 or 15 years in Africa or Asia in lower price, even though the, the marginal cost for the, and the next pill is almost zero. Um, we don't want to end like that. So we want uh, AI to be uh, available and affordable to everyone in the world. And this is why we are very excited about uh, AI One. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it sounds like this is really a, a very, um, you know, uh, ethical and moral stance you're taking here. And, and it's kind of almost like a, not quite open source, but it's, it's, uh, you know, closer to that than, uh, as you say, to maximizing profit. What what about the countries? And I, I I can hear this in what you're trying to do, and I think your you know your mission. But what about countries? Um, you know, would you have different pricing for developing countries that uh, would have even a challenge with the one dollar per scan? How are you? How what's your again? It sounds like you're very mission driven, and Zebra Med is very mission driven. So how are you thinking about that? Is is it just across the globe? Everyone pays one dollar per scan, or is is there differential? Yeah, yeah, no. Very simple, it's across the globe, and we, we already uh, secured partnership in Africa and India, and, um, and they are also uh, comfortable with, the, with this price. That's great. Now, what, what scans are you, um, you know, are you, are you charging for? What, you know, do you, is it five different types of scans, 10, 100? What kinds of, of imaging studies? Uh... So, so our initial package was uh, several algorithms and the chest and abdomen CT modality. So we know how to identify things like um, osteoporosis, emphysema, fatty liver, uh, automated calcium scoring, and uh, vertebral fractures. And uh, this is the initial package, and it's all in the chest and chest abdomen CT scans. Um, so uh, initially hospitals in the US, uh, even if uh, as a hospital you do four or five hundred thousand scans per year, maybe thirty or forty thousand of those scans will be relevant for our initial package. So, so initially you will, you will be paying thirty, forty thousand dollars. And gradually once we add X-rays capability, MRIs, mammograms, um, you, you will be charged more, but you will always know it's one dollar per scan. And so that's the initial package we have, the, the mammogram algorithm uh, is also ready, but it's need to be uh, more tightly regulated in the U.S. They expect uh, to do a PMA for that, and we have a de designated partner, one of the largest hospitals group, that is going to help us with that. And but in uh, in Europe, for example, we expect to have a CE approval for the mammogram algorithm by the end of this year, so we can market it already in Europe. And as I mentioned earlier, we are already pushing those products uh, in India and Africa. Mm -hmm. What um, and what about uh, studies, imaging studies outside of radiology? You mentioned cytology. I don't know if you're are you exploring dermatology. So just say a word about that. So our data partners are uh, so excited about what they saw so far. They 
are pushing to us more data sets of different type of things outside of radiology. So uh, dermatology, cytology, digital pathology, uh, ophthalmology. Um, we're still, in, in terms of our startups and resources, we're still a very small company. So we need to pick those bottles uh, one at a time. And, but uh, vision-wise, we want to do all of them. And we have the data and the infrastructure. Infrastructure doesn't only mean uh, hardware, it also means a uh, tagging platform that where we are getting constant help with uh, radiologists from all over the world to tag and annotate data uh, so we can fit it into the neural networks. Uh, it also includes a uh, talent platform. It's very hard to find uh, the best talents in uh, AI um, and uh, we, we did that as well. So we, we build a platform that enables us to do not only radiology but also those other uh, fields. Mm -hmm. And, and what, in terms of time frame, uh, for instance, for someone wondering, uh, you know, how long it'll take to get, and, and you, to get through, and you mentioned there's two things. One is there's the science of it and the technology of it, and the other thing is the regulatory requirements. So there are two different um, uh, hurdles you have. Uh, but let's say um, in, in uh, ophthalmology, uh, are we talking about a, a, what is specifically would you be uh, reading and and are we talking six months a year three years what 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 is the general timeline and I, I imagine it's dependent on the resources you and other companies in in this uh, AI business uh, have to do it but just you know give me a time frame or, or of what you know your time frame of how long this takes to generate new use cases for us we are currently at the run rate of a new algorithm every couple of months in terms of the science part of it and then regulatory wise uh, if you take it to a 510k or decision support tool pathway it can take uh, six seven months and if it's a full PMA it can take a year and a half uh, and what what does PMA stand for? So that's the that's the that's uh, stage three, uh, like FDA class three. It's it's for full diagnosis. So for things like uh, lung cancer, for uh, like breast cancer detection or brain bleeds, the FDA is more sensitive, and they want uh, in some cases to do a, a full PMA. Right. So we're talking about uh, your your. Um, rate of producing these is literally from again from a science and technology perspective on the order of weeks the regulatory can require months or even you know over a year but it's it's a pretty rapid cycle to me it seems yeah it's uh it, it is rapid and it's uh, getting faster uh, we're getting better at it other companies are doing it as well and <coughs> um, i think i think uh, within five years we'll see uh, already regulated and deployed systems out there that are doing some of the work that uh, is being done today by uh, by human uh, technologies or radiologists or ophthalmologists right what, what and and I'm going to I'm going to wrap up in a couple of minutes cuz uh, I know we've we've got some uh, time constraints here but this has been really exciting to hear about what um how do you think this is and you've, you've said this a little bit, but how do you think this is going to fundamentally change healthcare? What's your, again, you sound incredibly mission driven and you must have a vision, you and your, and your company. 
where, you know, where did you get that DNA in terms of what is it that you're actually trying to do? And of course, every company is, is interested in revenue and, and, and profits and, and margin, um, and sustaining itself. But what's your, what's your vision and how do you see what you're doing transforming healthcare globally and the industry itself? And so, so just to put one thing uh, aside, uh, the, the AI1 model and what we're doing in terms of our mission is perfectly also aligned with our uh, uh, economic goals. So uh, there are more than three and a half billion scans done every year now worldwide. So um, even if we'll take one dollar per scan, we think there is enough room to build a great company, a very profitable one as well. Um, but in terms of uh, the mission, uh, we really want to be one of the leaders that take the world from uh, what is not is today, which is sick care, uh, to to healthcare. Mm -hmm. And today we talk, we always talk about healthcare, but basically in most cases we practice sick care. We wait for someone to be sick, and then we try to realize what to do. And when you use all those algorithms and big data, you can actually prevent illnesses, you can detect uh, people early on, you can, by doing so, substantially reduce the cost for the overall healthcare system um, and uh, enable more money to be invested in uh, innovation in the future. So um, to today we're in this uh, zero-sum game or uh, a rut race where there, there is no money for healthcare, there is no money for doing all those new things, so we wait until p patients are coming to the hospitals, we wait for someone to be sick, and then uh, we try to treat them in, a, in, in many cases in mediocre ways. Um, I think we really need to change the, the, the thinking around that. I know you are very passionate about population health management and how to reduce the overall cost by uh, taking people outside of the hospitals and how to prevent diseases. So we are hoping to be one of the leading companies in this uh, realm as well. You know, that's, that's wonderful. And I think, uh, you know, as I listen to you, you know, it's clear that your, your mission is so much around, uh, you know, prevention and being proactive in your care. Uh, so uh, it's, it's, you know, really quite, um, it's quite encouraging to hear how, um, how you're using really cutting edge technology uh, to do this in, in the past, you know, what's really fascinating, and I think this is a real kind of shift or inflection in the past in healthcare, one of the criticisms has been uh, that new technology actually adds costs and makes healthcare more expensive. And I think what you're demonstrating here, which is one of the first examples of this, quite honestly, y'all, is uh, is the fact that technology not only is improving care uh, and in the way you su just suggested by being preventive and proactive uh, and therefore reducing downstream morbidity, mortality, and costs, but it's it's actually in and of itself uh, lowering the costs as and this is exactly what we see in other industries. Uh, but uh, this is the first example of it in in this grand way that I've heard in healthcare. So. Uh, I, I really want to appreciate that and recognize what you're doing, and um, and the fact that it's so you know mission based is really quite quite remarkable to me to hear. So I, I applaud you. I really I really mean that. Is there anything uh, in the last uh, couple of minutes? Is there anything that we missed that you feel the listeners should hear at this moment, or, or that you want to share with us? Um, I think maybe back to the start of uh, the conversation. 
Yeah, this AI thing is, I think it's purely a hype. Uh, we all need to recognize it's just a technology, just a mean to an end. Um, and as a healthcare leaders, we need to use the right technologies at the right time uh, to make patients' life better. And a few years from now, this AI discussion will look uh, ancient and there will be a new thing. Um, uh, we, we need to keep ourselves updated and, uh, and make sure we do whatever is best for the patients. Eyal, I, I really love talking to you. This is, um, you know, again, I, I think that last message, which is so core to uh, to what I see in, in healthcare as well, the fact that we have to continuously reframe and reorient ourselves. And um, you can't rest. Uh, you can't just have this sort of fixation on uh, the last great thing that happened. Uh, so I, I do. I, I love your forward-thinking vision about that too. So, so thank you so much. Um, finally, is there? Um, and I, I really, uh, you know, do wish we had more time, and, and uh, hope that we'll be able to kind of have you back uh, in this conversation again on, on creating a new healthcare. But any final sort of uh, take-home for uh, the listeners? One thing that I, I love to ask people like you, who, who are so um, different and divergent in, in your approach and thinking. Is, um, is, is questions like, you know, what was the, you know, what, what kind of um, advice do you live by? What, you know, you seem to have a, a way of living your life, of thinking of collecting people around you and hiring people and working with people and organizing. What, what, what do you follow? What's the rule of thumb? You know, what did your, you know, was it your mom or your dad or a teacher or a mentor? What was the piece of advice that you sort of follow as, as your theory of life? Is there something that you could share with us in, along those lines? So, so actually, uh, we mentioned earlier my first uh, midlife crisis uh, climb on the Kilimanjaro. So up until recently, the, the the notion was this entrepreneurial inertia. We we all have it in Israel. It's a startup nation. Everyone are creating startups. Uh, Zebra was my fifth startup. We were just just to push things push things uh, as faster as possible. And so that was the, the notion that I think I still live by it. But uh, during the Kilimanjaro climb, there was something quite remarkable that happened. So the local ones, they have this saying in Tanzania, it's called pole pole. It mean, means easy or take it easy, slow down. Um, because um, they have an inherent and embedded uh, wisdom of tens of thousands of years of climbing uh, Kilimanjaro that if you really want to make it to the top in one piece, healthy, and enjoy the sunrise, you need to take it easy because of the altitude and potential altitude sickness. So um, it's, it's very counterintuitive to everyone that comes from the Western world, buying the equipment, uh, setting uh, on the initial gate and stir the mountain. You are very fixated on the target and you want to finish it as soon as possible. Um, but um, they have the wisdom to, to tell you pole pole, like take it easy if you want to get it to the top in one piece, just one step at a time and it will be okay. So that's a new wisdom. I need to now reflect on it and start to embed it in my own life. But I think it's a, it's a good thing to do. Well, I, I, I guarantee you I'm going to take pole pole to heart and uh, start to uh, see... I reflect on it and, and use it in my own life and my own work. So I, I really thank you for the gift of that, uh, that lesson you learned as you were climbing, uh, Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, 
I have to say, when I had my uh, 40-year-old midlife crisis, I, I didn't climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Um, I, I think I went on a vacation for a weekend with my wife, so quite different. Um, I really <laughs> so, but uh, maybe maybe I'll I'll do that for the next big uh, birthday. Uh, you've you've inspired me, uh, and and I think quite honestly, Ayal, in all seriousness, I think you've um, you've really uh, inspired me and excited me uh, again about the possibility of what we can do in healthcare when we have the right vision and mission and uh, and execute on it. So. Can't thank you enough for joining me. I, I definitely would love to follow up with you. I know you're going to be uh, doing some really new things. Thank you for sharing the AI One, the all-in-one um, uh, venture that you're launching. It, it sounds brilliant. And I wish you the best, you and your company, uh, the best of luck, and, uh, and hope to talk soon. And for uh, thank you again. Okay. And for the, um, for the listeners here, again, want to thank you for joining us on this conversation. Uh, again, I know you folks are the people in the trenches each and every day doing the hard work uh, and meaningful work of taking care of patients or supporting uh, supporting the, the people who are directly providing care to patients. So thank you as well for joining this conversation. And until next time, uh, be well. Thank you.